Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? Oh, that's a good happy. That, that must mean it's sunny and warm out with everyone with that much energy. Who is getting excited for the upcoming Ontario provincial elections? I see five hands. It's good. Well, who's getting nervous for the upcoming Ontario provincial elections? Oh, look, hundreds of hands going up across the room. Yes, we have an election coming up. We, we are choosing between three parties. We're, really, we're choosing between three leaders who have risen to the top of their profession, doing their absolute best to try and lead our province into a place where they believe that it will be beneficial for us as a province. Now, on a side note, it truly makes you wonder about the individuals who did not make it to rise to the top of the parties, if these are the best that they have to offer us, but that's another conversation at another time. But what's interesting to me is that one party is convinced that the way to health as a province is to balance the budget within two years and say, we need to stop going into deficit. While another party is recommending that we increase the deficit and go $5 billion more into the debt that we've that we're already been incurring. And both feel that they are completely logical and correct that this is the best option for us. They're at opposite ends of the spectrum, and both of them have come to a conclusion that this is what's best. One party will say, you know what, we need to drop wages, that the minimum wage has gone up and they did this significant bump, we can change the taxation uh, percentages, but we're going to drop minimum wage down. Another party says, no, we need to keep it going up and up. That's the way that people are going to get healthy. One says, you know, hydro, we, we, we need to manage that privately. We need to, get to, to make sure that it goes out and the private organizations can manage it and we'll have the best hydro possible. Another one says, no, we need to bring it back in to make sure that it's government run and that's how it will be best. And in fact, if you go through the, platform, the party platform agendas, you'll see differences all over the place. And the only thing that they've all agreed on that is absolutely the same is that they agree that nobody else has any idea how to run the province other than they do. That's the only kind of commonality that they have. Now, how is it possible that logical, rational, educated people can come to so many different, completely ideological different conclusions? How can, they, how can they all use wisdom and end up in different places? It's because of the makeup of the parties. If you understand, if you dig deep, you can see that they're built upon fundamentally ideological different principles and they're trying to lead us somewhere else. So the way that they would make decisions leads them to a different end. And it's not a question of who is giving their best and who wants us to, be, uh, to do well and succeed as a group and as a province. It's a matter of what dictates how they think, believe, and act. 
And we're in a series on James across all of our campuses, and we're looking at contradictions. We're looking at what are the things that we see in Scripture that fundamentally go against what we may think or feel or how we would act, and and is it possible that we need to realign ourselves in some of the ways that we think and act? Because there are times when we will come to a conclusion that leads us away from God. The number one goal of humanity... Sociologists will say this. They will say the number one goal as a people is self-preservation. Help me, help me. These are logical people that said this is what you need to do. Help you, help you. That's all you need to do. The number one goal that we see presented in Scripture that was modeled for us by Jesus, that we're supposed to go out and live like that, is the exact opposite. It's help me, help you. That's how Jesus lived his life. That's how he wants us to live his life. Sociologists say, help me, help me. Jesus says, help me, help you. And we are moving into chapter 3 this morning in James. So if you have your Bible, you're going to want to leave it open through the first half of that chapter, verses 1 through 18. We're not going to read a big chunk, but we're going to be moving all throughout it over the course of the morning. Some of the verses are printed in your notes. Some will be on screen. Some of them you just need to actually read your Bible. So keep it open. But what, what this chapter tackles is this idea. Does human wisdom line up with the wisdom that we see presented in Scripture? Here's the big idea. Here's the big question for you this morning. Do you trust that your life will go better if you follow the core principles of who you are and what you have come to believe and what you conclude? Or do you trust that your life will go better if you align your life and the way that you make decisions to what you see in the Bible? Because if you open up the Bible and you really begin to consider its teaching, you will start to see that it flies countercultural right in the face in direct opposition many times to what many of us would feel would be right, logical, and true. We've already tackled some of these in our our series on James. We've said, you know, when you experience life's challenges... You're supposed to celebrate. You're supposed to count it joy when you have difficulty after difficulty after difficulty. They may even be a gift from God to you. Now, that's not how we would think. When we experience challenges, we would go, this sucks, I don't like this. But, but, But scripture says, no, when you experience difficulty, count it pure joy. That flies in the face. Which wisdom are you gonna lean upon? Remember a few weeks ago when we were, when we were talking about wealth and the iniquity that we, that we experience in this world, where they said when the wealthy and, and those in high power are brought down a notch, what are we supposed to do? Cheer! Do you remember that? When the wealthy are brought down, cheer! Now that doesn't go in line with what we would say. Like If somebody who's been successful and invested their time and energy and they keep building up their wealth and power, we shouldn't cheer when they're brought down to side. That's what it says in Scripture. So God's wisdom can go in direct opposition to what we would believe to be right and true. And so it's important for you and I to do a little bit of self-reflection and say, how do I make decisions? What are, what are the core fundamentals and principles upon which I think, act, and feel? And are they drawing me closer in line with who God is, or are they pulling me away from God? Because it should not be our end just to be logical and rational. Because there are logical, rational conclusions that you can come to that will fly directly in the face of who God is, His wisdom, and what the Bible teaches. As I was preparing for this message... I was reading some of the writings of Christopher Ryan, 
who is a PhD in psychology. So got his master's, got his PhD, he's, he teaches, he writes in human interaction. And here's the conclusion that he came to. He argues that humans were never designed to be monogamous in our relationships. And he argues for the benefits of infidelity. He says that, he says that as a culture, if, if we are just designed to, to sustain ourselves as a people, help me, help me, then there are benefits of infidelity, infidelity, which include procreation. The more we create, the more we sustain ourselves as a people group. He says that sexual pleasure is, 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 was designed for us. It's enjoyable. So if you have more opportunity instead of less opportunity, that keeps the health and happiness up of our, of our people. He says that if you look through cultures, both historically and current, you will see that those who have learned to share their partners have experienced more growth and happiness than those who have become sexually exclusive, and it should not be a defining characteristic of how we love one another. He's come to a logical, rational conclusion. And I look at it and I say, that logic is self-serving. That logic is definitely male-focused. It completely ignores the psychological and emotional damage that we know happens if, when somebody is betrayed and that is experienced in infidelity. It has no concept of the spiritual union that we see in Scripture, that, that the sexual relation, how the sexual relationship is described, and it has, it has elements of how, of how God wants to have relationship with us, and, and, that's, and that's a model and a picture for us. And I said, I can come to a logical, rational conclusion that said everything you just wrote and talked about is completely wrong. The two of us having arguments that seem to be rooted in logic, completely opposed. Everything that's logical is not God-honoring. And James 3 is going to help us do a little bit of self-reflection and say, are there areas in my life where maybe I'm not as far off as this Ryan guy... <laughs> But maybe there are areas in my life where I have come to a, a conclusion, I have come to a place in my life where I have started to lean on my own wisdom and, and it flies in the face of God's wisdom. So take out a pen or pencil if you're taking notes on the bulletin or get your finger ready and you can fill in the notes along if you're using your phone or your app. And here's the first one, is that our words are going to help reveal the source of our wisdom. The, the way we speak will start to demonstrate and bring out for us where we get the wisdom from. Who can roll their R's? Who can do that? Who, goes, who sounds more like this? You got a few, of those, a few of those people. Who can make this sound? Who sounds like when they're, trying, when they're trying to make that? Yeah, Some of us do, right? Your language, the way that you speak, reveals a lot about a person. In fact, where you were born will often dictate if you can or cannot make those sounds. There is a critical age for language acquisition, and it's under the age of three. So if you were born in a nation or a culture that did not make the sound or th before you were three years old, you will probably not be able to make that sound for the rest of your life. And there are some of you who, who were not born in a place where English was commonly, was commonly spoken and you, and you didn't hear it. And you've been like, I have been investing 40 years trying to go, I see what you're doing. I hear what you're doing. And it never comes out that way. So how on earth am I supposed to get there? It's because where you were born limits you. And in fact, it's extremely difficult 
for someone who was born as an English speaker to ever master the Mandarin language and vice versa, a Mandarin speaker to ever master the English language. And I'm not even going to try and make the proper intonation sounds of a Mandarin speaker because I, you, I will butcher your language. I fully understand that. And it's because I never heard it in those critical years because the words that we hear reveal a lot about us. Words reveal your culture. Words reveal your age. Those of you with teenagers will know this. They say things sometimes, and you look at them, and you hear them, and you're like, that's not a phrase. That's not a word. What you're saying doesn't make sense. And they're like, you just don't know, Mom. You're just not cool enough. And it begins to reveal your, something about you. Well, James puts it this way in verse 5. In the same way, the tongue is a small thing, but it makes grand speeches. It has a lot more going on there. And a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. J- James is alluding to the fact that something very small can produce something very large and very powerful. And, and the way that we speak can actually demonstrate and indicate a lot more of what's going on inside of us. Sometimes we may think our words are insignificant, but they reveal something much deeper and can affect more than we could ever imagine. Solomon wrote it this way in Proverbs 18 and 21. Here's what Solomon said. He said, the tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. How does the tongue have the power of life and death? Well, well, we talked about this a little bit last week. We said that there's something that's really related between what we really what we believe and what we trust. We might believe something, but for us to trust it, we have to, we have to live that out. And, and for us, even though faith starts in our hearts and, and our minds, it's with our mouths that we confess that Jesus is Lord. That's right there in Romans and says it's with our tongues that we confess Jesus is Lord, which is actually the life-giving principle upon which Christianity and the whole church is founded upon. Our words have the power of life. And the kinds of things that we say reveal the kinds of things that are within our hearts and how we would live our lives. When you get into a conversation about church and faith with someone who isn't commonly going to church and doesn't necessarily have the same faith that you have, how do you represent your faith? Do you say, man, I just can't wait for Sunday mornings. You know what I love is I love getting up early. And I, and I would go to the 840 service, but I know they haven't got it right yet. So I wait for the 1010 service because I want to make sure that I get the absolute best that that church has to offer because I love getting up early and I love worshiping and coming and, and, and hearing what they teach. And man, you wouldn't believe what they teach. Sometimes it's so awesome. They teach us that we have to give sacrificially. Like I love the Sundays when we get a second offering and we get to give above and beyond because I don't like money. I want to give as much of it as I possibly can away. And I love that they're challenging me to think about being a part of a new campus because I don't want to be somewhere where it's comfortable and easy. I want to be challenged and live sacrificially. Man, I love church. Is that that you? (laughs) Some of us, some of you, mostly the 840 crowd, not you, but (laughs) some of us fall into this trap of criticism and we'll say, yeah, man, I hate getting up early on Sunday morning. It's so beautiful that we could just be at the beach right now. I, I don't like when they talk about things that really challenge me. Like, why does it, I, I was at church and they were talking about this. Like, I, I just, I don't even know if I'm going to go next week. How do our words have the power of death? You know that some people will only ever 
evaluate who Jesus is based on how you speak about your faith and your experience with church. And the only opportunity they would ever have to come is by you beginning to speak about it. And we might speak death into our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers because we're misrepresenting the truth that would be here. And we have evaluated how we, how we have faith and how we do church based on what's easy and comfortable, which is the wisdom of humanity rather than the wisdom of the Lord, which is every opportunity that I would have to worship and sacrifice. That's where I want to align my life. We just sang at Pastor Duane and the team, and Jaira sang those words. That it really, really struck with me. She said, everything that I once held onto as dear, I count that all as loss. Death and life happens every day in the lives of our kids. Students, if you're in the room, you know this. As you walk the halls of your school, there are people that speak There are very few people that speak life and a lot more of our kids who are speaking death to each other every day. You know, when when I was in elementary school, I had this massive stutter and there were there were most days that I would just repeat a sound and it would be just like the 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 the, and I couldn't get it out and my friends would tease me that I was an echoer and hey, nice echo, Rick, it sounds great in you. And and then there were times when I would really get nervous and I couldn't even get the word out and it would be like uh, and that and I would be so nervous. And you know, even today, as I get up to speak, and I speak multiple times a week sometimes, every time before I get up, I stop and I pray and I say, Lord, just give me the ability to speak because I know that oftentimes I stutter and I can't get words out. And I have this fear that lingers from a comment that my friends made 25 years ago. How does that work? Because it's death that was spoken into me. And, and it reveals the hearts of our kids. Our kids like to tear each, other, tear each other down. That's one of the ways that we feel better about ourselves is if we could tear others down, then we'll feel better about ourselves. And that's the wisdom of humanity, not the wisdom of God, which would say speak only life and build other people up. And I know if we went around the room this morning, each one of us probably has a memory of somebody who spoke death to us Somebody who said something negative, that made some comment about who we are or what we sound like or what we look like or something about us. And every day we wake up with that word of death in our minds because somebody has said something to us. And if we are aspiring to live lives that follow Christ, then death should never come out of our mouths. Criticism, something that tears down, something that's negative should never come out of our mouths. James says it this way in James 3 and 10. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing? My brothers and sisters, this should not be. We just sang praise to God. And James says, never should a mouth that has praise then cut somebody else down. But he's writing this to the church. You know why? Because he knows that in the church there are Hundreds, there are thousands, there are actually all of us as individuals who have parts of our lives that have not yet been turned over to Christ. And there are parts of our lives, there are times, there are experiences that we have where then we reveal the death that's in us rather than the life that's in us. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 12 and 24. He said, for out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And he's saying, whatever is truly rooted in your heart will just naturally bubble up out of your mouth. So that's why the words reveal the wisdom, the the, the principles upon which we're living our life. I want to try a little social experiment with you. Are you up for a social experiment? All right, here we go. A, B, C. It's easy as... 
Okay, you're catching on. Let's try this one. Near, far, wherever you are, I believe that. Oh, it's like Selena's in the room. It's beautiful. Okay, one more. It's fun to stay at the. There, see, you, you have these things deeply rooted inside of you, don't you? And when, and when you hear a line from that song, out it comes. <laughs> so a reflection question for you. What do you hear yourself speaking regularly? Do you hear yourself speaking encouragement and life and truth and go- things that are God-honoring? And how much of the time do you hear yourself speaking criticism? and death. There are parts of us that still need to be turned over to Jesus. There are parts of us that need to bring, to to think about this and say, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. Oh, this should not be. And as we get to the second point, here's why we need to understand this, is because human wisdom, the parts of us that speak death, is fundamentally flawed. It's broken. There, There is this argument that some of us default to and like to use for some reason that says this, that's just who I am and I cannot change. We'll say, have you ever thought that even? I'm not going to, don't, don't put up your hands. <laughs> but think about how many, how many of us have thought that or ever said that? You know what? That's just part of who I am. I can't change that. That's how I respond. That's how I live. That's how I think. And the problem with this is that this is a terribly short-sighted argument that leads to more brokenness. Do you know that Jesus came to earth based on the very principle that humanity can change? That those who were once destined for death are now destined for life. That those who used to be be driven by the principles of what can help me help me can then begin to live for the principle of help me help you. He came so that we could be changed. But we see brokenness being pervaded all the time because we say, that's just who I am and I can't change. But our hope is found in the ability to change. And there will be times when you and I, as a Christ follower, will think or feel something that is just not God-honoring. And we will be tempted to use this argument, that's just who I am. And Lord, don't speak to that part of me. Or God, I don't believe you can change that part of me. Or I don't even want to consider that you may speak to that part because that's who I am. And if we are relying on that argument ever, then we are relying on broken, flawed human wisdom rather than the truth that we see in Scripture and God's wisdom. And at some point, we need to understand that that is a self-serving thought. It is not who we are. God designed us for something else. And, and, and let's, let's consider this. It, we all do this, right? Have you ever been to the grocery store and you see that item that you just absolutely love? I don't know what it is for you, but you see it in the package and your mouth just starts to salivate. For me, it's anything with peanut butter and chocolate that has been blended together. That is just, God created, I believe in the garden, there was peanut butter and chocolate together, and then sin came in and it separated it. But when we get back to heaven, God will restore peanut butter and chocolate as one being. That's not totally in the Bible. That's just my, that's my thought. But I don't care what it is. They can put it in little cups. They can put it on cookies. They can break it down into bite-sized pieces. It's just amazing. And that, I don't know what it is for you, but, but you bring that home, and then, and then you think, 
I should put this right on the, on the counter so every time I walk by the kitchen, I can experience this amazing treat. I just, so that every time I walk by, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to let the dog out. Peanut butter. Mm. <laughs> and now I'm going to do the laundry. Oh, chocolate. Yeah, here, and I have both of these. So every time you pass by, you have it. But then you think, if every time I pass by it and I see it, need it, the kids are going to see it needed every time they pass by too. And I did not buy that for them. I bought that for myself. So then you put it not just in a cupboard, but you put it on a shelf up high where the kids can't see it. So you make sure that that treat is just reserved for you. And you think, now I'm living. Now I've got this thing figured out. But then you go, no, my wife is taller than the kids. And I think she can still see that, 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 that shelf. So then you take it off that shelf and you put it in a whole other room where, where food was never designed to be. And, met, and only you know where that is because you want it. Help me, help me. <laughs> we have these thoughts. That's a fun one. But, but if we really did reflection, we know there are times when we have a selfish thought where we have a broken thought. Here's what James says. And one thing that keeps striking me as we're in this series is, man, James is not mixed words. He goes right at it and just, and, just, and just hits us hard right between the eyes. Here's what he says. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things, catch this, are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I thought I was just hiding peanut butter and chocolate from my family. <laughs> James says... It's earthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. The thoughts that we have, the words that we speak that are self-serving are just not from God. But they are sometimes part of us, aren't they? Let me ask you this. How much of the brokenness in your life stems from a selfish or jealous thought? Whether you had it or whether somebody else had it. How much of the brokenness that you have experienced comes from somebody using human wisdom and human logic as opposed to God's wisdom and God's logic? Somebody that said, you know what? I was so angry with them. I just had to let them know how I felt because they hurt me deeply. So I had to, I had to tell them. Or I had to break that relationship off. I, I had to tear that business down because it was just wrong and, and I, needed, I needed to end it. I needed to bring the brokenness. We justify brokenness all the time. And we speak it out or react on it. And it's human wisdom. And it's human logic. And it's not the way God designed for you and I to live. And here's what James 3 and 6 says. It says, those kinds of words, those kinds of actions can set your whole life on fire, is what he says. For it is set on fire by hell itself. Again, he's being, he's being blunt here. He's being harsh here. But he's saying, when those are the principles that dictate how we think, speak, and feel, it burns up in our faces because it's not God's kingdom. And we need to learn to check ourselves so that we would stay rooted in wisdom that doesn't advance me, that isn't worried about my feelings, that everything we once held onto is dear. We, it's lost to me now. I don't want it. I only want that which advances the kingdom and the love of God. Because here's what we see, last point this morning, is that godly wisdom is life-giving. Anything that we would choose, that we would say, that we would act, that gives life, that builds other people up, that leads people toward Jesus and offers life of encouragement, that's wisdom that is rooted in God and who he is. Verse 17 said it this way, But the wisdom from above is first of all pure, it's also peace-loving. It's gentle at all times. 
It's willing to yield to other people. It's full of mercy, and it's the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it's always sincere. What would our community look like if just the 3,000 people that are associated with Portico, let's not even consider the other Christ-following churches, let's just consider the 3,000 people from this church. What would change in our communities if we began to live lives based upon just these principles? And we said, I'm only going to act if it's peace-loving, which meaning any fight that I see, whether it's at work, whether it's in my family, I'm going to make sure that I bring peace because that's the wisdom that I want to live by. It's, it's, it's gentle and willing to, to yield to other people. It's saying, I don't care about myself. I'm going to be merciful and give grace to people that truly don't deserve it. Now, get a picture of somebody in your mind who doesn't deserve grace or mercy. I know you have two or three. I've got one right now. <laughs> it's me! <laughs> You know what you think they deserve. Now, is that based on who you are and your wisdom, or is that based on God's wisdom and who he is? <laughs> I'm, coaching, I'm coaching soccer again this summer. I've coached little girls' soccer since Hope was five years old. She's now 12. This is like eight years running. And the funniest thing is that, although many of you know I'm an athlete, I've played high levels of sport at all kinds of sports, one of the only sports that I've never participated in, organized, and played at any great level is soccer. The the most that I've ever played is at the rec league with a group of friends from Hershey Center. And what was was my job, Caleb? My my job was to run around and not take subs so that the other good players could could come on and off, and I I would just be running around until our good players could get back on. It was a body. But we began to coach soccer the first time seven or eight years ago, whatever that was, is because Hope was five and we saw the disorganization in mini soccer. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to mini soccer, but there, there are really only, there's only two things that you need to know to coach mini soccer. Number one is every child is supposed to be around the ball. So you're supposed to have 22 players just around the ball in one big huddle. And that ball is just supposed to move around the field. And if somebody falls down, you're supposed to help them not cry. Those are the only two things that... That, that you need to accomplish to be a good mini soccer coach. And Amanda and I said, we can help kids not cry and we can get kids in a huddle. So we can do this. So, so we, coached, we coached mini soccer and we laughed and we had some fun. Our team wasn't very good, but didn't matter. And then parents asked, Would you guys, are you guys coaching next year? We want to make sure your kids, our kids are on your team. We're like, why? We lost every game. Like, no, we just want to make sure your kids are on your team. So like, I, guess, I guess we're coaching again next summer. And, and Seven years consecutively, we have finished coaching soccer and we have determined in our hearts, we are not coaching soccer again next year. We do. Amanda's led missions trips every summer. We seem to be planning churches in the summer. We seem to be doing all these things and we don't, we're not coaching soccer again next summer. And we look at the parents on the other sidelines. I've seen some of you. You're sitting there sipping an iced coffee and you're having conversations with people and you've got your feet up. You've got the extended lawn chairs and we, Amanda and I look at each other. We could be those parents. I want to be those parents. <laughs> and we get to the end, and the parents come, oh, are you guys coaching again next year? Like, our, our daughter wants to be on your team. And we think, we think why? <laughs> we, we lost half the games. There are other coaches that know way more about soccer. There's better teams. Let's put them on that team. And they say, why does your daughter want to be back on our team? And they don't say it in the way they say, because your team is conducted 
with the principles of the, of the kingdom and the wisdom of the kingdom. But here's what they say. You know, our daughter can come on your team and, and she's encouraged. And they have, they have fun on your team. And you do little extra things, like you have little extra trips and you, and you, you take them out to Tim Hortons and you organize an extra event and, and, and the girls support each other and they cheer for one another. And, and there's, and there's the one girl, who's, one girl who really shouldn't even play in soccer, but everybody, instead of criticizing her, they yell for her and they cheer for her. And when, and when, and when she scores the one goal in seven years, like it's a big, massive explosion. And everybody loves it. And they're like, I want my daughter on that team, not on the team that wins and gets better at soccer. I want them on that team. And we think, but we could have been the ice, sip, ice coffee sipping parent. <laughs> but everything that I hold dear, I count as loss because I want to live for the principles of the kingdom. And then I rethink about what are my life goals. My life goal is that when people meet me, they would see and hear Jesus in me long before they would ever get to see and hear Rick in me. And that maybe, just maybe, over time, the line between who Rick is and who Jesus in Rick is blurs to the point where that just does become part of who I am. And all I do is life-giving, and all I say is life-giving. And I'm not there yet. I don't know that any of us can ever claim to be there, but that should be our goal. So reflection question before you walk away. What is one area in your life where you know you are relying upon your own logic and you have made a decision to live life based on the principles of this world and who you are and what you think has been right and true? And would you trust God enough to say, I'm going to bring sacrifice into that. I'm going to bring mercy into that. I'm going to bring God's wisdom into that and live countercultural differently than I ever would have assumed to live because I want to be based in God's wisdom, not my wisdom. Here's what Proverbs 4 and 8 says. If you prize wisdom, she will make you great. Embrace her and she will honor you. Let me pray for you. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to study your word this morning and to look into what it looks like to live a life that is based on your wisdom. And Lord, we as a church ask for the strength to make an intentional shift to live differently, to think differently, to speak differently. Lord, help the words that come out of our mouths reflect the life that is in us and the life that you have given us. Lord, forgive us for the times that we show and reflect the death that used to define us because, God, we don't want to live that way anymore. We don't want to act that way anymore. And, Lord, I pray that as we change our hearts and our minds that we will see people come to know you. People will find their way back to you because of the life that's in us and because we as a people will commit to living differently. And God, we will be a church that is more kingdom-minded than we have ever been before. And Lord, help us make that one practical change this week. We know this is a life journey. This is a life call to get there. But God, we commit this week to making one change. So Holy Spirit, right now, identify what that would be in our hearts and in our minds so that we would know we would be different. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the way that it smacks us between the eyes and challenges us because I want to live differently. I want to be the person that you have created me to be. So thank you, Jesus. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen.